last Sunday, we talked about Abraham, and we said something about him. What was it? Abraham was a man of faith. And what else? Who was following God. All right. You needed a little more than two helps. You wouldn't have passed your one verse. Abraham, a man of faith who is following God. Well, there's more than one side of a person's life, right? And this morning, we're going to look at Abraham, a man of fear who is not following God. And we're going to see how he kind of turned his whole world upside down. Because even a man of faith can live in fear. Father, as we look in your word this morning, we pray that you would encourage us, convict us of times when we have given in to fear and help us to love and trust you. Thank you for the joy we have of serving together, for the blessings you provide in our lives, uh, for the camaraderie that we enjoy because we are here with brothers and sisters in Christ. And through Jesus, we are family. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit, which guide us and keep us on the right path and off the wrong path. And we pray that this morning your spirit would speak to our hearts, help us understand your word, help us to look back at some difficult days in Abram's life, Abraham's life, where he made choices that were not good. Help us to learn from those. Help us to avoid those. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to see a time in Abram's life. Now, he's called Abram at this point. Later on, God changes his name to Abraham. We looked at that last week. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. We also, last week, if you were not here, we walked from Adam all the way to Abraham, the history of humanity for those first couple thousand years of life on earth. And I encourage you, if you weren't here, to go to the website or sign up on the podcast and listen to last Sunday's message. Uh, That would be encouraging to you in your walk with the Lord. Uh, But this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Genesis 12 and verse 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he's worshiping God and calling upon God. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now, Uh, If you've ever been from Chicago, when you go south, that's bad news, right? Because the south side of Chicago is where the bad uh, Leroy Brown was. And uh, and so when Abraham goes south here, he's going south spiritually and physically. Verse 11, it came to pass when he came near into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. That means she was really beautiful. And how many of you ladies think it's wonderful if your husband thinks you're beautiful? Not very many. You should have been doing this. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. He, he, anyway. Verse number 12, Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Honey, 
you're so beautiful, you need to lie for me uh, so that they don't kill me and take you to be their wife. Now, ladies, isn't it nice if your husband thinks you're beautiful, but do you really want him encouraging you to lie and be deceitful? You want him to stand up and be a man, not just a man who thinks you're beautiful, right? Well, Abraham messed up. So verse 13, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, it always sounds a little creepy when Abraham says his wife is his sister. Last week, when we were walking from Genesis through to Abraham, uh, we are not very far removed from the flood, or from creation. In creation, where did Cain get his wife? Who did he marry? His sister. Where did Seth get his wife? He married a different sister. I have two sisters. That's a scary, scary thought. But it's different when you were closer to creation. See, we now have known health problems that occur when you marry a close a sibling or a step-sibling or a close cousin. And so there are laws in our country to prohibit that. Uh, some of the royal families in countries and other places should have <laughs> heeded that because they had a, a lot of intermarrying and it caused a lot of conflict and troubles. It, it, it's difficult for the kids. But in Abraham's day, it was normal. It was not creepy. It was normal. Sarah was, Sarai, was his half-sister. And that was a normal thing to do in that culture, even though it just sounds really weird today. So was Abraham asking Sarah to tell something that was untrue? No. Was he asking her to lie? Yes. Wait a minute. You said it was not untrue. You can lie by saying something true in a manner intended to deceive. It's called guile. And Jesus hated it and recognized Nathaniel as a man who had no guile. Politicians are masters of guile. In the church, we're not supposed to be. So, Abraham says, so tell him I'm your brother, which was true, but not really the truth. Uh, and so uh, in verse 14, it came to pass, he came to Egypt. The Egypts beheld the woman that she was very fair. She was beautiful. In today's terminology, they might call her a hottie. I don't know. Um, but she was a, a very, very attractive woman. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and she was so beautiful, they recommended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entered, he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and donkeys and men servants and maid servants. He had male donkeys and female donkeys, camels. The Lord then plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her, and get out of here. That's what it means in Hebrew. Go thy way. 
And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. See, the first fear that we see here is that he had fear for his life and for his well-being. It's okay to be aware of this fear. It's not okay to use guile and deceit to protect yourself from this fear. Fear of his life or his well-being. And, and see, the truth here is that he was believing that telling the truth would be dangerous. Do you have a, a bulletin with you? On the one side of the bulletin is a verse. We're all going to say this verse together. This is Psalm 56, verse 11. Let's say it together. Ready? In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do unto me? Nothing. Uh, this verse meant a lot to me. When I was in the Marine Corps, I helped uh, uh, get charges against a man who was smuggling drugs in through the Marine Corps from Okinawa, and we got charges against him, and, and he had been a former friend. And, in fact, Kathy had met him, and he'd scared her half to death. He jumped in the car and took off with her. <laughs> but, uh, but he uh, threatened my life, and he was going to kill me. And he had actually killed somebody about a half mile from my office. The MP said they thought he was on his way to get me when someone else recognized him, and he killed them. And I remember that night being scared because at this point we were engaged and planning to get married and she was going to move out to California with me. And I thought, how can I bring a, lot, a wife into this situation? What am I going to do? And I was just anxious and fretful. And so I turned to, at the time, my favorite passage of Scripture was Psalm 46 and uh, started reading about how faithful God was. And usually reading that psalm helped calm me down, but it didn't work that night. It wasn't enough. So I read Psalm 46 and, and 47 and 48 and 49 and 50 and 51 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and Psalm 56. And I just kept reading because I was so anxious thinking, this guy's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And I got to Psalm 56, 11. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I thought about that and I looked at that and I read it again and I never even read verse 12. I closed my Bible, said, Lord, it's in your hands. I lay down and slept. Abraham could have known and trusted the Lord. He made a choice. Believing that telling the truth would be dangerous, he talked his wife into joining him in a lie of guile and deceit. A man of fear who was not following God. Turn over to chapter 16. Chapter 16. In chapter 16, uh, verse number 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing or having children. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived 
And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So uh, this is the chapter on Ishmael. And in chapter 15, God told Abraham that uh, he had no children. And uh, so or Abram told God, because he had no children, he was going to make Eleazar his heir because God said he would have an heir. And God said, no, no, Abraham, uh, Abram, you're going to have a child from your own loins and uh, your own son will be born to you. And so uh, Abram then believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And they believed God and trusted him in the Old Testament just like we do in the New Testament. Uh, It wasn't faith plus works then and faith only now. It's faith in God and God does the work. And we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He was saved by trusting and looking toward the Redeemer. We're saved by looking back at the one who came. And so Abram believed God and and God counted it to him for righteousness. And, And now they're in chapter 16 and Sarai says, listen, I'm an old woman. I'm beyond childbearing years. It's not gonna happen. And so if this is going to be your child, we need to make arrangements for that. And so here's the fear that they had because they had waited 10 years. They had a fear that God could not do what he said. They had a fear that God could not do what he said. Don't we have that fear? People have that fear financially. Well, I know I'm supposed to give to the Lord, but if I give to the Lord, I'm, I'm going to really be struggling. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can pull this off. I even had a friend that I had challenged to, to start tithing and, and giving to the Lord, and so he called me after three weeks. He said, Terry, I've been giving to the Lord for three weeks, and God hasn't blessed me yet. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, you're still breathing. That's a blessing from God. But, but we, we, we want to not trust God. When the Bible says, show love to your enemies, what would you rather do? You'd, you'd rather do what the Nebraska Cornhuskers cheer used to be. Back in uh, the late 60s, we lived in Nebraska. My mom went to the school there, and uh, we'd go to the Nebraska football games, and they had a cheer. We're going to whomp them upside the head. We're going to whomp them upside the head. Isn't that what you'd rather do? You you don't want to pray, oh, God, bless them, help them, bring them to repentance. You want to play, God, smack them. In fact, let me do it. As my dad always used to say, Lord, I know vengeance is yours, but just this once, can't you say, Jim, go get them? Fear that God could not do what he said. God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And you go through dark days, dark days. And you don't feel his presence. And because you don't feel his presence, you think he's departed. He has not. You're just not aware of his presence. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When he said, I will forgive your sin. Uh, If you call on him, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But but you have really messed up this time. This is not little sin. This is not little white lie. This, in the eyes of man, seems like big, huge mess. I can never overcome. And God says, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I was the chief of sinners, but God's grace was abundant on me. And so we could, God could do and can do and will do what he said. So since they felt like they could not trust God to do what he said, they believed they had to manipulate the circumstances in order to work out what God wanted to accomplish. Churches do that today. They manipulate the circumstances to work out what God wanted to accomplish. I, uh, per- Benjamin and I participated in a seminar on you know, outreach and uh, re- reaching people and getting them into church. And, and the pastor's instruction was basically you bribe people. Uh, you give them a, let them know in advance if they come, they get this free gift. And when they come, they get that free gift. And Benjamin and I looked at each other and, and, and it, we, we said to each other, you are uncomfortable with this, aren't you? <laughs> and we both said, yes. We want to reach people for Christ, don't we? I, I love to see more people from our community here, but we don't want to bribe them. We want them to respond to the Lord. Because if they come here for a free hamburger or a free kite or a free Sunday or a free burger or a, a free chicken sandwich or a free tofu salad, uh, whatever they would come here for, if they're not coming here because they're seeking the Lord, it's an empty trip. And, and, and we want to reach people with the gospel. No excuse for us not to be out there trying to witness to people. But we don't want to bribe them to come to church. Years ago, when um, Jim Reeves and I were getting ready for an annual meeting, and uh, we had someone in the church who was not very faithful. And one of our old-time faithful members had nominated this person to serve as a deacon. And Jim and I looked at the, the, you know, recommended that we consider this person to be a deacon, which is a significant spiritual position within the church. They're a huge help to me in planning and overseeing. And, and Jim and I looked at each other and we said, well, this person doesn't even attend faithfully. Why would they think he should be a deacon? So I said, well, I'll go talk to him about it. So I went and I talked to this faithful member who's now with the Lord. And I said, you nominated this person to serve as a deacon. He said, well, yeah, I thought if we gave him a little responsibility, maybe he'd be more faithful. And see, the Bible's exactly the opposite. If he's more faithful, then give him a little responsibility. That's why Tim Pinnock didn't become chairman of our deacons when he was 19 years old. He wanted to, but no, he didn't. But but he is chairman of our deacons now. Why? Because he grew into it, accepting more and more responsibility. We haven't worked him to death yet, but I'm still trying. No. Uh, Abraham and Sarai said, we got to figure this out. God's not coming through. We've been waiting on him for 10 years. And Abram's idea was, all right, it's going to be Eliezer. And God said, no. And then Sarah said, well, maybe this will be it. So you'll have a second wife, my handmaid. And again, that sounds creepy in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if, if, if we had a cleaning lady, which we do, but she's also my wife. But if we had a different cleaning lady... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I help her once or twice a year. Um, but but, but if, if Kathy ha- hired somebody to do the cleaning and said to me one day, hey, Terry, take her to be your wife. I'm like, no way. 
No way, that's not God's plan. And we understand one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's plan. We see that throughout Scripture. Okay, But we have more revelation than they did, don't we? So we have a higher accountability than they did. It was a cultural norm in their culture for men to have multiple wives. I've never known a culture ever where it was normal for wives to have multiple husbands. It's always men having multiple wives. Kind of interesting. Uh, And so she said, all right, do this. And Abraham said, well, okay, maybe this will be the way. And uh, it turned out really badly. As soon as she conceived, she scorned her master, Sarai. And so in verse 6, Abram told her, look, she's in your hand. Do what you want. And Sarah got really mean and obnoxious with her. And so Sarah fled. I'm sorry, Hagar fled from her face, the end of verse 6. And then the Lord met her, an angel of the Lord met her in the wilderness and talked to her and encouraged her to go back to Sarai. And she did. And, and the Lord talked about how Ishmael would be the name given to this young man, and that he would grow up and, and princes would come from him. Now, it's interesting to me that God did not tell Hagar, I have changed Sarai's heart. Go back. She's eager to see you. She said, God said, go back. There's no indication that Sarai treated Hagar any nicer. But Hagar obeyed God and went back. Isn't it interesting? The one who's outside the family of Israel, as Abraham's the the founder of Israel and Hagar's from Egypt, the one who's outside the family of Israel is the one who believed that God could do what he said. But Abram and Sarai, the chosen ones, didn't believe it. There's a song written by John Moore, Phil Nash, and Randall Dennis. I don't need to have a plan in hand. I don't need to have the end in sight. All I need to do is follow you wherever you lead and do what you ask me to. That's what we need to do. Follow him and do what he asked us to do. Now, turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20. In Genesis chapter 20, we again see Abram having this fear for his life or his well-being. And you know, in (laughs) chapter 12, we read about that and we say, what was Abram thinking? Well, now his name's been changed to Abraham. He's been walking with the Lord longer years. And now you think, okay, he learned his lesson from Genesis 12. But once again, now he has this fear for his life or fear of his well-being, and he falls back on the practice he had before. Before, when this problem came up, what did he do in chapter 12? He asked Sarai to to kind of lie and deceive and say she was his sister. And so Abram, Abraham falls back on that. Chapter 20, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarai, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Well, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art a dead man. You ever had a dream where somebody threatened your life? That's kind of scary. But when it's God threatening your life, that's like really scary. 
Behold, thou art a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a, the man's wife. And a, but Abimelech had not come near her. He had taken her into his harem and preparation for, planning, anticipating uh, to uh, marry her, have relations with her, but he had not done so. And so uh, he said, Lord, in the middle of verse 4, Wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister, and she... Said even her, she herself even said, He is my brother, and in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands have I done this. Now, have, have, you, have you been thinking, remembering, how old is Sarah at this point when she's beautiful and men are chasing after her? At this point, she's in her 80s. She's in her late 80s, 90s. She's 90 when Isaac's born. She is. She's being chased after by guys. That God allowed her to stay beautiful for a long time. I, it normally doesn't work that way. I, I have pictures when I was cute. They were 55 years ago. Verse 6, And God said unto uh, him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart, and I also withheld thee from sinning against me. It's like God stopped him from being able to uh, try and have a relation with her. What was Abraham thinking? Hey, she's not my wife, guys. She's up for grabs, and some guy grabs her. What does he think's going to happen? Crazy. Verse 7, Now therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not... Know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. And Abimelech rose early in the morning and and took care of it. Yeah, I would too after that. Jump down to verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarai, Sarah, Abraham's wife. So they, nobody was allowed to have kids. There was no childbearing going on, no birth, no conception, nothing. And, and God had just shut the whole process down. Apparently for a length of time. Because normally when a woman's expecting, it takes a month or two to figure that out. So for a length of time, no one was conceiving kids. I hope it was just no one conceiving. Or pity the poor woman who was eight months along. And God said, baby stays in there for a couple more months. (laughs) But listen, look at Abraham's answer. Um, uh, Verse number 11, Abimelech in verse 10 confronted Abraham, and Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me, that Every place whither we come, say of me, he is my brother. Do you catch what Abraham said? Abraham said, he said, I didn't think there were believers in this place. See, Abraham was believing that his safety came from the people of God, not from God himself. 
people even today have a very superstitious view of the work of God. If you're having problems in your life, have you been faithful to church? Have you been giving your tithe? My mom even asked my dad that once. uh, They had several things break down the same week. She said to him, have you been paying our tithe? (laughs) Well, of course he had. He'd been given generously above the tithe. But we, we view it superstitiously sometimes. And you got to allow God to be God and trust him. And you do not have more safety because you're among more Christians. I know believers who have quit a job because they were with a bunch of unbelievers and then tried to get a job where they work for Christians. It's not wrong to have a job where you work with Christians. But when I was in manufacturing and I got hired in that place, I was the only Christian in the company, as far as I knew, talking to different people. But when I left the company and became a pastor, there were several Christians in the place that I had the opportunity to lead to the Lord. The light of God shines greatest in the darkness. I was reading a book this week by a guy who's following the Lord, and he was a baseball star, but he got serious about following the Lord, so he quit his baseball team. He was the only Christian on his baseball team, and he quit his baseball team and and started really focusing on trying to follow God. He said about three years later, it dawned on him, I should have stayed on the team. I was a missionary for Jesus among those who didn't know him. Hey, we got some people in our church who work in the public school. Is that just joyous and rewarding all the time, right, Sarah? No? I'm shocked. There's stress. There's difficulties. There's pressure to conform. But if we take the light out of the darkness, it gets darker. And sometimes those of you who are Christians serving in a non-Christian environment, you have an opportunity to really be a witness for Christ. So, we started out last week with a person of faith who is following God. And this week we look at Abraham a little differently as a person of fear who is not following God. And you need to mark this in your head or write this down so you remember it. Anyone can be either one. You can be a person of faith or a person of fear. Anyone can be either one. So we need to take home some lessons from Abraham. We, as I said last week, three of the world's Western religions, Muslims, uh, Judaism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all look back to Abraham. What? Well, but not by definition. By definition, they're Western. Eastern religions are the the Asian. Um, yes, they are in the Middle East, but they're considered Western religions by theologians. So it is East, but it's West. I've straightened that out for you, haven't I? Okay, a lot of people look back to Abraham. And we can learn a lot from watching him. We can learn that the only way to be saved is to believe and trust the Lord. And when you believe and trust the Lord, God saves you. God counted it to him for righteousness. 
So here's some principles I want you to take home from thinking about Abraham today. Number one, trust is a choice. Trust is a choice. Uh, They waited 10 years, but they could have kept trusting. George Mueller, who ran orphanages in England, prayed for people to be saved. One guy, he prayed for 52 years for that man to be saved. And George Mueller went to his grave, never seeing that man trust Christ. But today in heaven, they're rejoicing together because the man got saved after George Mueller had died. Trust is a choice. You can choose to believe God. You can choose to trust God. You can choose to honor God. It's a choice. Secondly, faith equals trust plus action. So it's not really faith unless you take action. If I said, well, I believe this chair could hold me up, but then I never sit in the chair, I'm not really having faith. But if I say, oh, I believe it, and then I actually sit down on it, and I'm really glad it didn't collapse, uh, and I sit down on it, then all right, I had faith in the chair and it held me up. Faith is not faith until you act on it. You can say, I got all this intellectual trust, I believe in my heart, but unless you act on that faith, it's not faith. Faith requires action. And a third thing is that you can focus on your fears or you can focus on the Lord and choose to trust Him. It's a choice. It takes action. And you can focus on the Lord or focus on your fear. It's interesting, when the Lord showed up, he called him by name, Abram, Abraham. We're going to sing this morning a chorus, a a song, He Knows My Name. God has worked in our hearts and lives. God has brought us to Christ, wooed us, uh, convicted us, the Holy Spirit to work. God knows your name. Now, our kids uh, growing up around a lot of older people when I pastored in Green Valley and when we first came to the church here, I was the youngest guy in the church. Admittedly, I was younger then. Uh, but uh, we were a lot of older people and uh, our, a lot of them couldn't remember the names of our kids. And, you know, they'd say, oh, your daughter, um, the one who doesn't wear glasses, <laughs> uh, the one who wears glasses, your son, the tall one at the time, Benjamin was the short one, not anymore. Uh, but it, it, I struggle with names. I really do. I shared last week a joke about that. But, but it's hard for me to remember people's names. I work at it. I, I, one time somebody wanted me to make a visit with them, and I said to Kathy, those people, they want me to come by and visit with them. Who are they? What's their name? I, I, I knew their faces. And, uh, but God knows your name. God never says, hey, hey, oh, that guy that's married to June, what's his name? God knows it's Jerry. And by the way, Jerry said, you know, if, if any of you want to workers, you, you need to have somebody watch your kids. He said, June will watch them all. So just, just, <laughs> you better talk to June about that. God knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. 
He knows the needs in your heart. You can trust him. And you must. Because there's nothing else in life that's trustworthy. I have dollar bills in my wallet. Not many, not big. But I have dollar bills in my wallet that say, backed by the full faith and trust of the United States government. How's that going? Aren't you glad we trust in a sovereign God, ruler of the universe, who spoke the stars into existence, the star-breathing God, knows your name. We can trust him. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, do it today. Talk to one of the leaders around. Come to the front. We'd love to show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. Trust Him. Follow Him. Don't try and manipulate things. Just wait on the Lord. He's really good at fulfilling His promises. Let's stand together as we sing.